Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Psalm 25. You guys ready? You guys alive, alert, awake, and enthusiastic? I'm alive, alert, and awake. Sorry. We had camp this week, if you didn't know that. So we had about 100 kids every single day, and there was so much energy. Normally, it's pretty quiet around here. Not too much excitement, but this week, it was absolutely fantastic. We had Eagle Lake here, a hundred different kids, and there was just so much energy and fun. And so I'm still kind of in that space of of celebration. So we're going to be in Psalm 25 today, and I want to start off with something that may be familiar to you. When I was uh, quite young, my father worked for a computer programming company, And he had all these young programmers. And this is before a lot of the video games came out. So these guys would be constantly creating these unique little video games that had terrible graphics. And most of them were like A-B type choices. So you were on a journey. And on this journey, you had to follow the clues. And you would meet these different people and they would share information. And then you would have to come to a decision. Are you going to swim across the lake? Or are you going to walk around the lake to the castle? And you had all these clues, and these clues would lead you to a decision. And if you swam across the lake, unfortunately, you were eaten by an alligator, and you died. And the game would kind of fall back, and you would go back to a previous selection. But if you walked around the lake, you met an old lady. She provided something for you. It was a key to the castle, and now you're on to the next adventure. And sometimes, I think, when it comes to the will of God to discovering the will of God, understanding the will of God, we think of it as an A-B choice, that I've got to follow the clues, right? Because God's leaving clues on billboards. God's leaving clues like the third word of a scripture passage, and we're trying to follow the clues, and we're trying to get it right. And if I don't get it right, I get eaten by an alligator, and I got to go all the way back, and now I'm somehow out of the will of God. But if I get it right and I follow the clues, I'm in the will of God. Am I describing anything that's familiar to you. So often when we think of God's will, we think of something that we have to, in some ways, figure out, something that we have to discover. And today in Psalm 25, what I want you to realize is that the will of God and the guidance of God is more about what God does than what you need to figure out. Our God is a God who guides. Our God is a God who loves to speak into our lives. And it's not like we have to figure it out with a decoder ring or try to figure out the clues as we go along in life. God will clearly direct our path. And in Psalm 25, we come to this psalm of guidance. And what's kind of fascinating when you think about church history and you think about the will of God, discovering God's will is a very popular topic today. I don't know how many books have probably been written on deciphering and understanding God's will. But what's interesting is you go back 50 to 100 years ago, None of those topics really existed. People were not concerned about discovering my individual and personal will. In some ways, because they didn't have many choices. If your dad was a farmer, your dad was a craftsman, that's what you're going to become. But in some ways, in our modern way of understanding faith, we want to figure it out almost to control God so that our future is certain. And there's ways that we approach God that is so impersonal We would never approach another human being this way. But if I approach God and I say the right words or I figure out the right clues, I can kind of control God so that my life has certainty. And God is less 
interested in providing you certainty about your decisions as he is about being certain that he is with you as you go along the path of life. And that's what we're going to see, if you're ready, in Psalm 25, which is this prayer of guidance. Let's jump into it. Psalm 25, we're going to read the whole passage together. Actually, I'm going to read it. You don't have to read it. You can follow along. You guys ready? All right, let's jump in. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, and you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your past. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation, and for you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions, but according to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O my Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in their ways. He leads the humble in what is right, and he teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him he will instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being. His offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my afflictions and my trouble. Forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes. With what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul. God, deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God out of all his troubles. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, let's pray. I thank you as we approach you, Father. We don't approach information. We approach a person. We approach our Abba. We approach you through the Spirit, through Jesus Christ. We boldly come into a throne room, and it's a throne room of grace where you deeply love us and out of your love we respond. And so, Father, wherever we are, maybe there's challenges in life. We could feel overwhelmed about decisions or just simply about where we are. I pray in Jesus' name, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we would rest in your presence, knowing your steadfast love and faithfulness is what guides us, and you love to speak to your children. Speak to us, Father, we'd ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a quote by Augustine. I actually read this this morning, so it's not going to be up there. But I, I thought this quote from Augustine really summarized this message. And here's what Augustine said about the guidance of God. He said, love God and do whatever you please. So let me say that again. Love God, think about this, and do whatever you please. For the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. When you focus your attention not on the outcome, but on loving God, and your heart is devoted to that, then out of your heart, God will give you, and God will direct you, and God will guide you to what he wants for you. And it's not about figuring out the riddle. It's about simply being with him, because he is the God 
who guides. And there's a couple of questions I want to throw at you as we look at this passage. Do we want God's guidance or do we want God? Are we looking for clues to solve? Think about your own life, the riddle of life, or are we seeking to be saturated by his word? Are we responding to God's word as advice or do we see his word as truth? And then finally, do you think God's guidance in your life is based on your merit, or is it based on his grace? That first question is so important. Do we want the outcome, or do we want God? I think sometimes, if I can be honest, I just want the outcome. That's all I want, God. I don't want you right now. I, I just want to know that I'm going to have certainty. And see, that's where God says to a certainty, it happens in being with me that you are certain in my presence, you're certain in my love, you're certain that I have steadfast love and faithfulness for you. You're not gonna be so much certain in the outcome, but you can be certain in me. Now we see that actually in this Psalm, if we jump back in verses 12 through 14, it describes the kind of person that God guides. It says, who is the man who fears the Lord And here's the promise. He will instruct him in the way he should choose. So God does want to instruct us, maybe not in every single circumstance, in the path that we choose. He wants to guide us. And his soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who, again, notice, fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. Repeated phrase that fear him. Now, that phrase means to be in reverence and awe of God, but it also is the Old Testament way of saying to walk by faith. To fear the Lord is to trust him. To fear the Lord is to hear his word through scripture, through the Holy Spirit, and to lean not on our own understandings, but instead to rest the weight of our life and our decision and our money and the future on what God's speaking to us. To fear the Lord is to live by faith. And it says, the promise is, when you're God-central, God-honoring, God-worshiping, he does want to direct us. Now, in the New Testament, we see the same idea in Ephesians chapter 2. You may have heard this passage before, Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship. Beautiful word in the Greek, it's this word poema. It sounds like poetry. It means a work of art. Do you realize that you were created in a way not just in your birth, but through your life, through suffering, through hardship, through trauma, through success, through your gifts and talents, God is cultivating a person who is uniquely made in his image to accomplish something for his glory. Because that's what he goes on to say, if you wanna put that verse up. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance that we should walk in them. God has so uniquely guided you that he's not wasting anything. Your bad decisions are not wasted. What others have done to you, the bad decisions you have made, all of that is used by God in such a way to craft this person that you are today that if you would simply trust in this moment and begin to follow him, not perfectly, but just depending upon him, he wants to direct and guide you towards good works that he's already set out for you. He's just waiting for you to recognize it. And so we see in this passage the kind of person that God guides in verses one through three. Here David responds and says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. My God in you I trust. 
And so let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. You see that word shame, 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 shame. And David is saying, I will never feel ashamed for trusting in you. I'll never look back at my life and go, that was really stupid that I spent so much time trusting in God. Now, other people, right, are gonna say that was really stupid. But see, in God's presence, David is saying to trust in you, that is security, that is certainty, that God, you will guide and direct me. And here's what he says in verses four through five. Make known to me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you, the God of my salvation, and for you, I wait all day long. What David desires from God is to be with him and to know him. Notice it says, teach me your paths. Teach me your ways, meaning don't just simply teach me how to make the right decisions. I really want to know about you. You know, in, in two weeks, I'm going to celebrate my 25th wedding anniversary. Pretty big deal, right? Yeah, it's exciting. Thanks for celebrating with me. <laughs> and I've gotten to know the ways of my wife. I probably could get to know them a lot better. And I know her path so that when I'm in a situation where I need to make a decision and she's not there, I've got her with me. I know what she wants, right? And I know what she would desire because I've spent so much time with her that I don't have to guess. Instead, I know her. In the same way, God wants us to have that familiarity with him. He wants us to know his ways. In some ways, like an athlete. You think of a great athlete in baseball, football, tennis. They can't practice every scenario that they're going to face on the court. But they can prepare themselves by training themselves in their sport so when that moment comes, they know the way they need to go. I love this in Hebrews chapter 5. As the writer of Hebrews captures this idea of knowing God's ways. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. So let me pause right there. Milk is something a mother produces because she takes in solid food to mature her child. So what is maturity in the Christian faith? Is it knowledge? It's not knowledge unless that knowledge is given back to feed others. See, the writer of Hebrews is describing what a mature believer looks like. For solid food, verse 14, is for the mature. For those who have the powers, their powers of discernment trained by constant practice, distinguishing good from evil. That the more you get into God's word, the more it begins to apply to your life and you see scenarios in which you're trusting God and God is teaching you, there's discernment. There's wisdom. So when that moment of decision comes, you're not so much relying on the moment to get it right. Instead, you're relying on a history with God. And God uses the truth that he's given you in the past to make a decision in the moment. God longs to guide us and direct us, and my notes are totally out of order. That's why I was a little confused. Okay, I skipped page, I skipped page four, and that's okay because I guess we didn't need to go there. God was guiding me because I'm seeking the God who guides and not just his guidance. So there, there you go. There you go. The second idea is that we not only need to seek the God who guides, we need to seek his word. That's what we've been talking about. I was wondering why I was somewhat confused in the midst of that. But we need to also seek his word. You know, it's interesting in the book of James, James talks a lot about the guidance of God. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, 
Do any of you lack wisdom? Well, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, or she asks, he must believe and not doubt. For he who doubts is like this, this wave of the sea is blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man. What does that mean? Two-souled, two hearts, two desires. He's unfaithful in all he does. God can't guide us unless we're really seeking him. If we're kind of seeking him and going, God, listen, I may accept your guidance if it's what I want. If it falls in line with the vision of my life, then great. But if it doesn't, I'm not here to listen to you. And, and that's where James says, you know, God can only guide you if you're willing to be guided. And sometimes we're in that place, God, guide me, guide me, if it fits with my vision of life, if it fits with how I see who you are. And that's where God says, listen, I want to give generously to you without finding fault. But you have to submit to me. You have to surrender. He also goes on in James to say, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something and don't get it. You kill and covet because you do not have you, what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you spend what you get on your pleasure. Sometimes God doesn't direct us because we don't ask, or other times because our heart's just simply divided. And we're not bringing ourselves honestly to him. Instead, in some ways, we're trying to manipulate the outcome. Those that God guides seeks him, but they're also saturated through his word. And third, we discover that those who want God's guidance, they're willing not to respond to his truth as advice, but instead to respond to his truth in obedience. So watch this in verse 8. It says, good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. And notice he leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. What, what is this saying? I want you to notice in verse 8, sin is not your problem. Did you notice that? He instructs sinners. We often think, now, your bad decisions, the bad decisions, they get in the way of what God has for you. But what really gets in the way is the refusal to bring it to him. He knows how to deal with sin, but he doesn't know how to deal with pride. Because what pride does, it says, I don't, I don't need you. And in fact, pride can also say, I know what I need, and God, you don't. But see, what leads to guidance is that place of humility. God, can we talk about the truth about where I am? And he's like, finally. Can we be honest about what I'm struggling with? Can we be honest about the questions? What we, we love about the Psalms is this deep sense of honesty. And what God wants from us in verse nine is humility. It's that sense of surrender. It actually can be translated at times, those who are teachable, those who are obedient. God loves to guide through areas of disobedience. Now, let me explain that. God loves to guide through obedience. So when there's an aspect of my life where I'm not surrendering to him, but then I find myself trusting him and saying, God, listen, I know we're out of sync here. I want to begin to trust you. I want to begin to follow you. And I start telling other people because that's part of it. I know we want this personal, individual, Jesus and me kind of life. It just doesn't work that way. 
God is in communion with himself. We need to be in communion with each other. And when we're following him, we have to do that in community and express to others, here's where, bless you, here's where I'm feeling challenged, sorry, ADD. And here's where I need your support. And here's what I find. When I've been willing to take the risk to really press into God and then to be honest with others, and God sees that humility, which at times can be frightening, I find that he starts to direct my life in other areas that I'm not even talking to him about. You know what I mean? When there's an aspect of life that, that is really frightening for you to surrender to him and you start giving it to him and you start trusting him and listening to him and not taking advice from God but instead seeing it as a response of obedience, then there's other stuff in your life he starts to line up things that you're not even addressing yet. So often, when it comes to God's guidance, where is the aspect of your life that you're having a hard time trusting him? Or where is it, what is it about his character? Saying, God, I don't believe you're like that. Often he wants us to push into those areas of dis- difficulty so that his presence can show up in intimacy. Do we see his word as something that's advice? Or do we see it as something that he wants us to obey? And notice in verse 10. He says to us that all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant. Now, he's not saying all the paths of the Lord are going to turn out great. Your life is going to go easy. What he's saying is he's going to respond to everything in your life with steadfast love and faithfulness. When you blow it, what are you going to meet in humility? Steadfast love and faithfulness. When you're going well and life's going good, what are you going to meet in God's presence? Steadfast love and and faithfulness. This is his character towards the humble. We see the same thing in the book of Romans. Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purposes. God even works the junk out in our lives so that it directs for good. Now, here's where I find a lot of people are. I'll talk to someone, they'll say to me, you know, I totally blew up my 20s. You know, I ran into a brick wall in my 30s, my 40s, maybe in my 70s, and there's no possible way I can be in the will of God. You realize in that statement, you're trusting in yourself as the sovereign power in the universe. You're not trusting a God that wants to work in your life through steadfast love and faithfulness. And I hear this so often because, again, we think the will of God is an A-B choice. And if I've made the wrong decision, I'm outside the will of God, and I can never hope to get back there. That's just not true. Realize, that's that's not true. Now, there are consequences to bad decisions and to our rebellion, absolutely. And and there's a blessing we're going to miss out of, and there's some joy, and there's some peace we're going to miss out of if we ignore God's commands and we go in the opposite direction. But God's steadfast love, he will work out all the mess of our life in a way that is going to be used for his good and his glory. That's his promise to us. If we're willing to humble ourselves, we're right in the mix of God's will. It's not something we have to figure out. Instead, it's something that God wants to do for us. And here's the final idea. God guides through those who depend on his grace. It's not based on your merit. God's guidance isn't based on how good your week was, how much you've messed up, how much fear you have, how much faith you have. It's based on who he is. God is a God who guides. And if we humbly come to him, he longs to direct his children. Isn't that true? Now, you don't believe that. 
That's why we gotta take it down a step. Think of children. If your kid has totally blown up their life, right? Total mess. Tuesday, they just cursed you out. They wrecked the car. Their life is a mess. And then Friday, they come crying to you. And you can tell they're broken. What are you gonna say? You gonna meet them with steadfast love and faithfulness? Heck yeah. I'm gonna run to my kid. Because in that moment, I, I don't know why he needed to wreck the car. I wish he hadn't. I'm glad he wrecked the one he did because that was the bad car. I don't know why he had to go through that, but I am so absolutely grateful that now at this point of weakness, he's coming to me. And if I'm that kind of father who's willing to respond to his kids, and I'm a mess, guys. I, I need Jesus so much. I'm a mess. Don't you think your heavenly father is so much greater than that? If that's in you, it's in him. But we just don't see him that way because we're so living on our merits. I'm not good enough. We remember our shame. Remember David said, the one who trusts in him will not be put to shame. Now my life may be in some ways shameful that people may put that shame on me, but God doesn't. God doesn't. He celebrates your humility. He celebrates your dependency. He, just, he celebrates your neediness. And when you respond to him in faith, God celebrates and he longs to guide you. Realize, you're not outside of his will. Instead, in humility, he is here to listen to you. And that's why David says throughout the psalm, you see it a number of times, verse seven, verse 11, he says, remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Do you notice that? Remember me. Hey God, here's how I want you to remember me. Not that I wrecked the car, or I blew up the credit card, remember me according to your steadfast love. And you know why he says that? Because that's what God does. God remembers us according to his love, not according to our sin. And then in verse 11, for your namesake, Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. God, I just want to be honest with you about where I am. Your bad decisions cannot keep you from God's will if you're just willing today simply to humble yourself and say, God, guide me. Now, how do I know that? Because the Bible, these guys made a mess of their lives. Have you read the Bible? Have you seen one? You guys here today? Okay, if you've read it, you've read that these people have made such a, think of Jacob. Jacob was called Deceiver. That's his name coming out the womb. Wouldn't that be great? We're gonna think your name's Deceiver. That'd be great. And Jacob comes out, he's the son of Isaac, brother of Esau. What does he do to his father? Totally deceives him, right? Dresses up, I guess he puts hair on his arm, something pretend, I guess Esau was quite hairy man. And he fools his father. And in fooling his father, he absolutely stole the inheritance of his brother. I mean, a total deceiver. And because of that, there were consequences in his life. He lost relationships. He had to, to run throughout life and kind of dodge. And, and in the wilderness, he was a mess, but it was in the wilderness that he met his love of his life, Rachel. Through bad decisions, he came into the right marriage. And through the wilderness, he actually came to this moment where he encountered God at this very low point, And he begins to wrestle with God. And he doesn't know who he's wrestling with. I don't know what that looked like, but he's wrestling with this guy. And eventually, God has to wound him. He has to break him. And through that woundedness, through that vulnerability, through that humility, God's power showed up and he changed his name. Jacob made a mess of his life, but you know through Jacob comes Jesus. 
Through Jacob comes the Messiah. Through Jacob comes our salvation. And Jacob was an absolute mess, but he recognized at the end of his life, it wasn't his merit that brought God's guidance or his steadfast love. It was his dependency on grace, and it was his need for God. God does not accept us today because we have it together or that we followed perfectly his will and kind of figured out the clues. He loves us and he guides us because we are in Jesus. That's what it means to be saved, rescued. Are you gonna stand in yourself before God? Are we gonna stand with our life hidden with Christ and God? And to trust in God is to say, God, I don't wanna stand on my record. I don't wanna stand on my past. And listen, I won't even stand on my future or my present. I wanna stand in Jesus. And when you accept him, his identity becomes your identity so that you can go to the Father with confidence. Do you have that? And often we don't. And that's where we need to press in and start asking why. And we need to start listening to the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will take God's truth and he'll speak to you. And he'll reveal to you the whys. God, what's keeping me from you? Do you ever sit there and just... Just listen to him. God, what's, what's holding me up? Where is there tension in our relationship? Where, where is there aspects that I'm walking in shame, right? I'm walking in my past. I'm walking in my sin. God, would I just like a child come to you in humility and say, I just need you. I need you. Would you guide me? Beauty of the gospel is the good news is he responds. He responds to our humility and he responds to our need. Hey, this morning we're going to celebrate communion as a response. I don't know what stirs up in you, but it stirs, passages like this stir up a lot in me. It reminds me of mistakes I've made. It reminds me of even sin in my life today that's a struggle that I constantly have to ask the Father to deliver me. And so we want to spend time as we hold the communion elements in reflection. If you didn't grab the elements, they're available up front. They're also up front is up here. If you didn't know, that's the back. So they're available also in the back. If you want to go grab those right now, a lot of folks around you haven't grabbed them yet. We're going to hold those elements together and just simply seek his face. And however the Holy Spirit guides you, would you respond to him? Let's spend some time together in God's presence.